Well, we will be going into Proverbs later, and as you've probably guessed, we're going to be looking at the tongue today. And so, in setting more of the biblical context for that, would you go with me to Matthew chapter 12? Matthew chapter 12, and then we'll go to Matthew 15 and hear our Lord's words about our words. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, going over a couple of chapters to Matthew 15, verse 15. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. And turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. It has been an, I could say, an unexpected joy studying Proverbs with you um, over the last month and been a bit surprised and encouraged by your feedback. I have... Uh, Saved the tongue for last. And oh, there's, there's a reason. God has taken me through such painful seasons trying to teach me to tame this thing. Proverbs 10, verse 19 to 21. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. As I went through Proverbs categorizing them by topic, I found over 70 verses talking about the tongue. Our speech. Some commentators say there are as many as 90 linked to our speech. It is by far the largest category in Proverbs, and that kind of makes sense. It reflects both the amount of our speech and the associated risks of so much speaking. We talk a lot. It used to be a thing, I don't know if it's still a thing, right, to have that fitness app that counts your steps each day 
Are people still doing that? I, I never bothered to count my steps. What if we had an app that counted our words each day? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? And not just the spoken words, the written words too. We talk in person, we talk on the phone, we text, we email, we have social media posts. We talk in relationships. We talk in order to work. We talk to learn. We talk to buy things. We talk to worship. We talk a lot. And yet God says that wise speech is a rare thing, a precious thing. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. Why are gold and jewels precious? Because they are rare, and yet God says there's an abundance of those compared to wise speech, which is even more precious. And if wise speech is rare, that's pretty disturbing because speech is powerful. Proverbs 18 Verse 21, again, those of you who've been there here in this study, you know. You can either try to keep up or you can just listen. You can try to jot down the references. Hopefully they'll come out in a Tuesday or a Thursday takeaway or a takeaway someday. But um, speech is powerful. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the tongue. God's not using hyperbole, okay? God's not exaggerating here. Words can form relationships. They can build trust. They can form community. Or they can break relationships, destroy trust, divide communities. Words can touch the heart at the deepest level. And words can also break the heart at the deepest level. Words can refresh, they can strengthen like a cool breeze on a hot day, or they can cut like a sword. Words can impart helpful truth, or they can affirm wrong thinking. We underestimate the power of our speech, and therefore, we underestimate the sins of speech. We tend to view the trespasses of the tongue as less bad compared to some other things that are really bad. Well, I hope with the Lord's help to correct that today. Our, because our talk is so common, we just tend to get careless with it, right? That's what happens. Comfort breeds carelessness. One of the very first rules of firearm safety is this. Always treat a weapon as if it's loaded. In the Marine Corps, right, we handled loaded weapons all day, every day. You just get comfortable with it. So how do you counteract the tendency to get careless? Well, we had very precise procedures for loading that weapon, unloading that weapon, handling that weapon throughout the day. Never divert from that. Never allow yourself to get careless. The lives of other Marines around me depend on my safe handling of this weapon. Well, we heard from James 3 earlier, didn't we? The tongue is a restless evil. 
set on fire by hell itself. A little tiny match that can burn down a whole forest. And Proverbs warns that our talk can kill. We need to treat this thing like a loaded weapon. And we'll talk about carelessness in a little bit. So how did this happen? How did the good gift of God, the gift of speech, become a deadly weapon? Do you realize the very first voice humans ever heard was God's? God used speech to establish a relationship with Him and to explain our purpose. And then gave speech as a gift from the Creator to His creatures to be used for His purpose. To be used for His purpose. That's a vital perspective, and we'll come back to it at the end. And then what is the second outside voice that humanity heard? The serpent. And the serpent also used words. He used words to ruin our relationship with God, to pervert our purpose. He used words to question God's character and challenge God's authority. And we listened to the serpent's speech over God's. And our speech was instantly corrupted, right? What did we do? We immediately started excusing and blaming And yet God graciously spoke again. He spoke words that confronted our sin, but also promised the hope of salvation. And the battle continues until today. Will our words speak for the serpent or for our saving God? In fact, that's my two points. Speaking for the serpent or speaking for the Savior. So let's start with what Proverbs has to say about serpent speech. Things like lying speech, attacking speech, arrogant speech. So the first category in speaking for the serpent is lying speech. John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan by nature can do nothing but lie and he's the father of lies. Proverbs has a lot to say about lying speech whether it's various forms of dishonesty or disingenuous speech that flatters and manipulates. In looking at dishonest speech, let's go back again to Proverbs 6. We were just here last week. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes a lying tongue. (laughs) On the list of things God hates, number two after pride is a lying tongue. We saw last week that pride is an abomination to God. It's a disgusting, detestable thing to Him. So is lying. Proverbs 12, 22.
Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. Just like pride, God hates lying with a white, hot, holy hatred that never cools, and liars will not escape His judgment. Proverbs 19, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. And in case you miss it, Solomon repeats it again in verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. Why does God hate dishonesty so much? Because just like pride, it is the opposite of His character. God is truth. Honesty reflects his image. Dishonesty reflects the devil's image. And because God is truthful, his whole creation is founded on truthfulness. Honesty makes relationships possible. It makes trust and love possible. It's foundational for community. Dishonesty tears all that down. And we live in a culture where lying is accepted. It's even expected, isn't it? I mean, in advertising, in politics, in the media spin on everything, whether they spin it right or left, dishonesty is assumed. But it is never, ever acceptable to God. Now, when God condemns lying lips... He's condemning all forms of dishonest speech. Not just the blatant lie. Not just cheating on a test or cheating on your taxes. What about exaggeration? You know, we we take an event that happened or a, a statement that was made or an offense against us and just embellish it a little bit. Just stretch it a little might want to make ourselves look better, or we might, might want to make somebody else feel worse. So we embellish, we exaggerate. Do you realize, if you ever argue with your spouse and say, you never do this, or you always do da-da-da-da-da, you just lied. Nobody never does something or always does this, and certainly not your spouse. Exaggeration is dishonesty. What about half the truth? Right? We conveniently leave out those parts of the story that might hurt our image. We'll see this again with slander. We have a tendency to leave out facts that don't fit the narrative we want. Another form of dishonest speech is disingenuous speech, flattering, manipulating. Proverbs 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We saw in our sermon on friendship, right? Flattery lays a trap for others. But this proverb links it to hatred. We either falsely stroke the ego of someone or we fail to speak the truth they need to hear 
either out of self-protection on the one hand or hope of manipulating them to get a desired result on the other. Do you realize Satan used every one of these forms of lying speech in Genesis 3? He blatantly lied, you will not die. He exaggerated, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He told half-truth, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, yeah, they would experientially know evil, but it would make them less like God, not more like Him. And he flattered, didn't he? You eat this, you'll be like God. Don't speak like the serpent. Flee lying speech in every form. Next on our list of serpent speech is attacking speech. Again, John 8, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said hating someone in our heart is the same as murder, isn't it? And Proverbs links that kind of talk with hatred. Proverbs has much to say about murderous speech. Angry speech, critical speech, careless speech, slanderous speech. We talked about angry speech that is fueled by our pride last week, so I'm not going to say a lot again this week. Just remember Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Wisdom speaks softly and promotes peace. Wounded pride responds harshly and pours gas on the fire. In fact, fire is an image in Proverbs for foolish, angry speech. It's probably where James got it. Proverbs 16, verses 27 and 28. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Listen to one more warning about the destructiveness of angry speech. Proverbs 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. Again in verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Angry speech can destroy your neighbor or destroy the whole neighborhood. But anger isn't the only attacking speech. Proverbs warns against critical speech. In the very next verse, Proverbs eleven twelve, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense but a man of understanding keeps silent. You know what? Some criticism just doesn't need to be said. It's just not helpful. We talked the last two Sundays about how we need friends who are helpful critics. 
They speak from a motive of love. They speak truth that we need to hear to help us grow. But this is just the opposite. This is despising your neighbor. And remember that word neighbor is the same word for friend. This is arrogant condescension. This is, this is not a friend speaking face to face or side by side. This is standing above in superiority and speaking down to criticize, to belittle. Proverbs also warns that careless speech is just as dangerous as angry speech or critical speech. Proverbs 12, verse 18 There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know what? Our words don't have to be intentional to be harmful. They can just be careless. A clumsy child just swinging around a sharp sword can cut you just as badly as a trained swordsman. The wounds of careless words can be just as deep, just as painful as an intentional attack. Some folks just talk without thinking. They're not trying to be malicious. They just say dumb things without thinking about how it's going to hurt the other person. And some people just spout. Maybe you're a spouter. Something sets you off, and out comes this reflex response of harmful words. Ephesians calls it rotten speech. And then we try to do damage control after it, right? Oh, I was just so upset. I didn't mean it. Those careless cuts go deep, and they're not easily healed, especially when those careless cuts accumulate over years of marriage. Be careful. Be careful. One of the worst forms of attacking speech in Proverbs is slander. Proverbs 10, verse 18 He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Notice Solomon links slander to both hatred and lying in this one. So along with lying, we never speak more for the serpent than when we slander. I mean, Satan's name means adversary or accuser. Devil means slanderer. A slanderer is the opposite of the friend we've looked at for the last two weeks. A friend is one who loves, who speaks hard truth to us, even if it hurts. A slanderer speaks partial truth to someone else to tear down. Loving confrontation speaks to someone. Slander speaks about someone. Loving confrontation corrects. Slander condemns. Loving confrontation disciples. Slander destroys. 
Now, the motive for slander may be to punish a person we think wronged us, or it could be to promote ourselves. But whatever the motive, it's not pure, so we have to hide it with creative introductions. Right? It starts with something like this. Now, now I might be wrong, but... Now, I don't mean to be critical, but... Or the best one of all, you know, I really like so-and-so, but... There are so many ways the slander game can be played. It can be half-truth. Or I like this phrase, filtered facts. Filtered facts. We are trying to compose a certain negative narrative, and so we're going to leave out the parts that don't fit. Especially find it convenient to leave out the parts that might expose some guilt on my side. So there's half-truth and filtered facts, or we can just distort and exaggerate the facts. As we talked about earlier, just embellish a little bit what was done or what was said or what was not done or how something was said. Just make it seem a little worse than what it actually was so that we're justified in playing the victim. Or another one, focus on, magnify one weakness, one wrong committed, and ignore the overall pattern of the, the person's life and character. Right? Just portray that one flaw as the dominant characteristic. Put the magnifying glass there and say, aha, see, that's who they really are. Really? <laughs> All the rest of their character and life doesn't say differently? Or the favorite slander tactic, assigning motive. Playing God and pretending we know the person's heart. Right? We assume we know why they did what they did. Well, did you hear what they said? Well, you know why. And we declare it to somebody else as fact, or we at least suggest it as a strong possibility. Back to chapter 10, verse 10. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. What, what's wrong with eye winking? Proverbs 6, verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. That's how the slander game works. Little winks here, knowing nods, skeptical facial expressions, tone of voice, a little hint here, a little suggestion there, and somebody's reputation is dismantled one whisper at a time. And you know what's most disgusting about it? We love this game. Proverbs 26, 20.
For lack of wood, the fire goes out. But where there is, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Fire without wood for fuel dies. How many conflicts would die without a whisperer to stir it up? But why does the whisperer have fuel? Why do they have an audience? Look down two verses. Verse 22, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Slander is like sweet dessert to us. And we so easily swallow it. Now let's track this down a little bit further, okay? Why is slander so sweet to us? Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Did you hear that? Listening to slander reveals as much about our own character as the one who is speaking it. When somebody starts whispering to you about someone else, if you don't stop them, if you don't ask, have you gone to this person and resolved it with them? If you don't confront and instead you listen, you are exposing corruption in your own character. Don't speak like the serpent and don't tolerate serpent speech. Satan slandered God when he was tempting Eve. He assigned evil motives to God. Well, he knows if you eat it, you're going to be like him. He's just selfish. He's jealous. He's just holding back something good. Satan slandered Job to God, accusing Job of selfish heart motives, didn't he? Well, God, Job's only loyal to you because you keep blessing him. Pretending to know their heart. Don't speak for the serpent in slandering others. Last form of serpent speech we'll look at is arrogant speech. Isaiah 14, 12, probably speaking of the fall of Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. You said in your heart, I will raise my throne to the star, above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. Proverbs has a lot to say about arrogant speech. And by this, I'm not going to talk about boasting, okay? I mean just being too quick to talk or just talking too much, which, as we saw last week, betrays pride. Proverbs warns against being too quick to talk. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Why is there more hope for a fool than one quick to talk? 
Well, because a fool might actually learn something eventually. But somebody who's just quick to shoot their mouth off, they're not interested in learning. All they want to do is say what they think, because of course, everybody out there needs to hear what they think. Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Do you listen? I mean really listen to someone else before you speak. Or are you just kind of nodding along while in your head you're already thinking about the next thing you're going to say? He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Whether it's in personal conversation or in a personal disagreement or texting or social media, do you listen? Do you want to be spared a whole lot of needless trouble? Just do this one simple thing. Pause before you talk. Pause before you hit send. Does this really need to be said? Am I saying this in the right attitude? How could this person misunderstand this text I'm about to send? Another way to save yourself a lot of needless trouble, just don't talk so much. Proverbs 10:19. We looked at earlier. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Words are dangerous, so the more words coming out of our mouth, the greater risk of sinning in our speech. Some of you dear people need to realize that not everybody needs to hear every thought that forms between your ears. Proverbs 12:23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. What a fascinating contrast, right? Here we have a wise person who actually has knowledge to share, and they don't share it all. <laughs> they hold some back. But the fool who has nothing to offer is constantly broadcasting their meaningless thoughts. We have a, a family member, when they make a comment or when they bring up a subject, I'm ashamed to say I'm already calculating. How can I give the most blah, noncommittal reply so I don't encourage them to launch into a half-hour monologue on everything they think they know about this subject? Don't be that person that other people dread because you take over and dominate the conversation. Be humble. Ask questions. Show respect to others and value to others by listening and learning about them. 
Now, after the proverb about greeting your neighbor loudly in the morning, my second favorite proverb is Proverbs 17, 28. Proverbs 17, 28. Going back to verse 27 that we read earlier, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. <laughs> There's where I live. There's my hope. If I just keep quiet, people will think I'm wiser than I am. So in God's sense of humor, I'm up here. But <sighs> you know what I wish? This may sound silly, but I wish every time that we spoke arrogantly or angrily or slanderously or dishonestly, I wish we could see this long, forked tongue flicking in and out of our mouth like a snake. Maybe then we would realize what we're doing, speaking for the serpent. Why do we do it? Why do we talk that way? And how do we fix it? Well, learning better communication skills is good, it's helpful, but it won't fix the problem. Self-discipline, forcing ourselves to speak better, that's a good thing. We need more of that, but it won't fix the problem. Jesus said the problem is what? It's our heart. And we heard what he said to the Pharisees earlier in Matthew 12. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? The mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. We don't have a speech problem, folks. We've got a heart problem. James chapter 3 that was read earlier. James gives severe warnings about the danger of the tongue. And then at the end of the chapter, he reveals the source of that destructive speech. In verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where? In your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom of from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Heavenly wisdom is gentle. It's able to be reasoned with. It's honest. And it produces peace in relationships. But it's the pride and selfishness in our hearts that uses the wisdom of hell to produce evil speech that causes disorder in relationships. And then he goes on. It doesn't stop in, into chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? 
You lust and don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? What is the source of serpent speech and the conflict it produces? He says, our own desires. Paul David Tripp in his book, War of Words, and I would highly recommend that book, War of Words, Paul David Tripp. He describes the familiar process, right? A desire somehow grows into a demand. It goes from I want to I need. And that need then becomes an expectation of others. It, well, if I need it, you're obligated to give it. And if you don't, that unmet expectation becomes disappointment and resentment, and resentment leads to punishment. You deprived me of the thing I think I need, so you deserve to be punished. That's how most disagreements go, isn't it? And the root problem of all of it is self-idolatry and spiritual adultery in our heart. We are loyal to self, not to God. We love ourself with a love that belongs to God. So what's the solution? Going on in James 4, verse 6, but He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. The solution is sanctifying grace. And how do we get that? By rejecting and resisting the devil's tactics and by drawing near to God in humility and repentance. Either for the first time as we turn from sin and trust Christ or for the 10,000th time as we live this day in dependence on His transforming grace. But folks, if the problem is a heart problem, I've got good news for you today. It is possible to stop speaking for the serpent and instead speak for the Savior because through the Savior, guess what we're given? A new heart. Listen to the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And on the night of the Last Supper with His disciples, Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 20, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in My blood. Jesus said, Good news, disciples! The promise is finally fulfilled. Through My death, the new covenant will be implemented. Jesus took every one of our careless words every time we ever speak for the serpent. Every lie, every angry insult, every slander, every empty promise, every grumbling complaint. He took those to the cross and He suffered wrath for them. And then He rose again and He returned to the Father's side so that He could send the Spirit to give new hearts 
to his people and cause us to walk in his ways. And when you are desperate to no longer follow the serpent, you will put all of your trust, all of your hope in the forgiveness and new life through the saving work of Jesus. And God's Spirit indwells you and begins to empower new speech. We won't read it now, but look at Galatians 5 later. You know that passage on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. If we've been given the Spirit, let us live by the Spirit. Let us walk with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with Him in His war against the flesh. Yes, the New Testament calls us to stop lying, stop blowing up in anger, stop slandering. The good news is He's given us His own Spirit, the Spirit of omnipotent God, to change our speech. Or Romans 6. Man, I really want to go there, but look at Romans 6 later. Again, describing this battle. But instead of looking at at life in the Spirit, looking at our union with Christ. And we died to that old speech when we died with Christ. And we've been raised to new speech as we are resurrected with Him in new life. And so therefore, we can put off, we can stop that old speech, and we can present the members of our body, including this member, as an instrument of righteousness to serve His purposes. Yes, there are remnants of our former sin nature, and they're still in... (laughs) I don't know about you, but in me, they're still exerting influence on my attitudes and my speech, but through union with Christ, we're able to kill serpent speech and speak for our Savior. So let's look for just a moment at Christ-like speech, speaking for our Savior. It's a way shorter point than point number one, I promise. Do you know, in light of our topic today, isn't it significant that Christ came as the Word? <laughs> the Word. And what was one of the most striking marks of his ministry? John 7, 46. No one ever spoke like this man. There's authority. There's truth. There's healing. There's life in his words. All right, going back to Proverbs again. Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then in verse 21 of Proverbs 10, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. The lips of the righteous are a fountain of life and feed many. Remind you of anybody? Jesus Christ is the righteous man from whom, whose lips flowed living water whose words fed many. And we have the privilege of continuing His work in our speech every day. If we spoke for the Savior each day, what would our talk look like? Well, for one, in Proverbs, it would be patient speech. Proverbs fifteen twenty-eight. 
The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. Do we ponder or do we just pour out? If we are to speak for our Savior, we will exercise self-control. We'll stop spouting. We'll stop careless speech. We will ponder before we speak. We will weigh our words carefully, making sure they are appropriate in emotion and in purpose, just as our Savior did. Right? Sometimes His words were painfully harsh to the proud Pharisees, and sometimes they were patiently stern to His dense disciples. And His words were always compassionate and full of hope to repentant sinners, to the sick and the suffering. So we'll speak patiently. We will also speak persuasively. Proverbs 16, verse 21. The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Or again in verse 23, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Speaking for the Savior, we no longer lash out in anger to punish those who didn't submit to our agenda. We no longer flatter and manipulate to get people to do what we want. But for the wise, our agenda is God's agenda, and we seek to persuade with truth and reason. Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. I can't think of a better example in the Bible than the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus used violence to force people to submit to his Judaism. But once he became the apostle of Christ, he reminded the Thessalonians of this, we did not come by way of deceit or with flattering speech, nor did we assert our authority. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother. We proclaimed the gospel to you, exhorting and encouraging you like a father would his children to walk in a manner worthy of God. And he reminded the Corinthians of this, We've renounced shameful ways, not walking in craftiness, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. That's how we speak for our Savior. We speak patiently, we speak persuasively, and we speak life-promoting words. Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Here it is again. To turn aside from the snares of death. Yes, Proverbs 18, 21 warned us the power of the tongue. There's death in that, but there's also life in the power of the tongue. Very quickly, Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Yes, the tongue can crush the spirit, but the tongue can also revive 
a crushed spirit. 12.18. We saw this earlier. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Yes, a foolish tongue can wound, but a wise tongue can heal. And then I love verse 25, Proverbs 12. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. How many hearts around us are weighed down? How many people in this room are lost in their own head? (laughs) Discouraged? Fearful? How kind it would be just to go around speaking good words that cheer and encourage and point people to God. How does that happen? How do we make sure each day we're speaking for the Savior rather than the serpent? Well, in Romans 6, it it all starts with reckoning, with understanding who we are in Christ and then living who we are. So two things I would like for you to reckon today. Speak as a servant of God. Right? We live in a nation where it's considered your right to say whatever you want. We call that freedom of speech. It is a dying right today, but it is considered a right. Guess what? As a Christian, you don't have that right. You are not free to say whatever you want. Your mouth is not yours. Your words are not yours. God gave you that mouth. He gave you that gift of speech to be used for His purpose. And the only reason your tongue is not right now begging for a drop of water in hell is because Jesus bought your tongue with His blood. So your mouth doubly belongs to God. He gave it to you as Creator. He bought it with His blood. Remember that. And be more careful this week submitting your speech to Him. Speak as a servant of God, but speak also as a child of God. And here I'm thinking of Jesus' words in Luke 12, 32 and 33. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Do you hear Jesus' motive for being financially generous? Your Father is giving you an eternal kingdom. What's a few dollars? But I think the same principle applies to our speech. Remember, folks, our Father is giving us an eternal kingdom. We don't have to use our words to selfishly get what we want now. But we can generously bless others with our words. When I worked for HeartCry, and I would go visit a missionary in Africa, my primary mission was to look for needs that we could help with. That was so fun. Right? Just go and, and watch. Does this guy need transportation? Does he need a bicycle? Does he need a minivan? Does this guy need teaching tools? 
constantly watching, how can we bless this guy? What if we maintain that same mindset with our speech throughout the day? Just constantly watching for somebody we can bless with our words. Please, talk. If you are in Christ, talk like who you are. You are simultaneously a servant of God and a child of God. Submit your speech to Him and then generously bless others with it. (laughs) There are some students who like to play this get-to-know-you game called Would You Rather? And you give somebody two choices. For example, would you rather eat a raw earthworm or run a 5K? Give me the earthworm, okay? That's how much I hate running. So leave you, let me leave you with these lingering questions. Would you rather... Would you rather wound or heal with your words? Would you rather divide or deepen relationships with your words? Would you rather push people away or persuade them with your words? Would you rather spread distrust and death or spread life and healing with your words? Immediately following the close of this meeting, you are faced with this momentous choice again and again and again. Will you speak for the serpent Or will you speak for your Savior? Let's pray. Father, you know I would be even more terrified to get up here and open my mouth. I would flee in shame and hide where no one could find me if it were not for your son, if his blood did not cover all of my serpent's speech, and if your spirit was not at work getting evidence again and again that you are transforming my tongue. Oh God, I pray for your precious people in this room. Lord, that we would present that member of our body, maybe before all else, to be instruments of righteousness, to honor our Savior who bought our tongue, to honor our Creator who gave us our tongue. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's not yet had that spiritual heart transplant, Lord, who is still incapable incapable of change, who is under your wrath for their words, oh God, would you be merciful? Would you draw them to the Savior today? Would you do a beautiful transforming work in them and please continue that work in those of us who already belong to you? We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.